Welcome to the Message Podcast from Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to subscribe for updates and new episodes. You can find us on most major podcast outlets. Visit cotnaz.org for more info. Our worship services stream weekly on Sundays at 9 a.m. on YouTube and Facebook Live. You can also find our live stream at cotnaz.org. Our in-person service times are 9 and 10.30 a.m. We have a campus near Harrisonburg at 1871 Boyers Road. We also have a campus in East Rockingham at 414 South East Side Highway in Elkton. In addition, our Spanish-speaking campus meets on Sundays at 11.45 a.m. at that same 1871 Boyers Road location. Check out our website, cotnas.org, for more info. Did anybody else in the room, maybe if you'd be willing to confess it this morning, woke up ready for a nap? Like, does that ever happen? Boy, you hear the rain coming down, and it's not quite as light as it normally should be, and you just go, oh, I'm ready for a nap, and you haven't even got out of bed yet. Well, you might not know this, but one of the beautiful things about being a Nazarene is that comes with some perks. Now, there's a lot, but there's this one perk called a Nazarene nap. And there's a couple of them coming after lunch, amen? (laughs) A Nazarene nap is that free excuse on a Sunday afternoon after dinner to take you a nap. And uh, on a rainy Sunday, that's a good thing to do. Uh, Sunday traditions are are fun, right? Like we live in the Shenandoah Valley, like we're a traditional community in a lot of ways. And there's a lot of Sunday afternoon traditions. And my wife's family, we have a tradition. They, we, by marriage, we, uh, they have a tradition on Sunday afternoons of gathering at Mamaw's house. Gathering at Mamaw's house. Now, th- this is an old school event. Now, what I mean by that is when we talk about having a meal at Mamaw's house, it- it's not just, you know, we scrape together one meal and one side and everybody goes. And like, no, this is old school, Grandma's house, smorgasbord, okay? Like, you-, you get the entrees and the appetizers and the desserts and all the things you normally don't fix for yourself at home. And no, I'm not telling you where this is. You can forget about it. Like, you can find your own, all right? <laughs> But pretty early on, like, I realized marrying into this family had some perks, if you know what I'm saying. And Sunday afternoon lunch is one of them. Well, it didn't take our daughter Eliza very long to figure out that Sunday afternoon at Mamaw's was a good thing. Because, lo and behold, I mean, parents, you know what's up. When Eliza goes to Grandma's house, goes to Mamaw's house, like, she's showered upon all the things she shouldn't normally have at a meal. You know, the extra cheese ball before the meal. She gets caffeinated sweet tea, which ought to be an abomination for a two-year-old on a Sunday, I'm just saying. But you get all these things, and so she has figured out that mammals is a good thing. And so on Saturday afternoon, she goes to bed excited about church. You know, first she was excited to come to church, and she's excited about mammals' house because she knows the good that's a-coming. Well, the, the trouble with this event at, at Mamaw's house, and this is all I'm going to tell you about where it's located, it's about 35 to 40 minutes from where we moved to here in Elkton. And, you know, it depends on traffic a little bit, but that trip can wear on Eliza's commitment to the whole venture. I mean, mine too, right? Mine too. But especially uh, on a Sunday, we'll, we'll make it out to about the Stone Spring Bypass, you know, where the neighborhood market is, the Walmart there. We'll make it about there before we hear it. And parents, you know what's about to happen, right? From the back of the seat, you'll hear, up. That's the cry. It's over. The journey to the goal is coming too hard. It's taking too long, and I want out of this car seat now. Up. And I get it. I do. 
But what you see is that excitement has faded into frustration and a teensy bit of desperation, and I just want out of here. The journey is just too much. The path is just too hard. Have you ever been there before? Can you relate a little bit to that feeling? I mean, I mean not necessarily strapped in a car seat for 35 minutes, but, but that feeling of being on a hard journey, on a struggle where you're just starting to wonder, is this worth it? Maybe that for you is something going on in your, in your family circles. Maybe that's at work. You, you are just on a difficult season. Maybe it's a, a new task or a new supervisor. Something's changed, and that journey's just getting really, really hard. Maybe that journey today for you is a journey of recovery. And that road is long, and that road is hard. Whatever that journey would be, it's hard for you, and you just, if you were honest, some part of you just wants to go back. Let's just throw in the towel. It's just not worth it anymore. Maybe it even doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense what the Lord's doing. Maybe he seems slow or absent. Can you relate? If you can relate to that feeling, to that sense of frustration, anguish, or desperation, the children of Israel throughout the story uh, in Exodus that we're unpacking, they know all about that feeling of a hard journey. In fact, that's really one of the reasons that we're taking this summer series through the story of the children of Israel is because the difficulties that we bear today and our responses today can be seen thousands of years ago in the story of the, of the children of Israel. And with that, I, I welcome you back to our summer teaching series, The Wanderers. The Wanderers. Over the, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to continue to trace the story of God's people as they were brought up out of captivity in Egypt, and they're on their journey on the way to God's promised land. The good of Mammal's house, if you will, is ahead for the people in the story, but it's, it's a challenging story for them. It's a challenging time, and, and throughout this story, we're going to see that it's full and undergirded by God's grace and his mercy and his faithfulness, and it's also a story where we witness God's patience with people because often the people in the story of the Exodus are unfaithful and even an idolatrous and, yes, a grumbling people, but yet, but yet, God desires to enter into covenant relationship with his people. Our series began just last week at the crossing of the Red Sea. And in this historical moment, we witness God's ability to make a way through the seemingly impossible. We see God's provision for his people in redemption. The children of Israel had been slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years, and the moment came at the Red Sea there on the shore when God decidedly delivered his people from the power and the bondage of the Egyptian empire. God literally parted the waters of the sea so that his people could pass through on dry ground. And, and as the army pursued them into the sea, God closed the sea waters back on the Egyptian army, defeating in one instant the most powerful army the world had ever known up to that point. God declared a victory for his people. He made a way through the seemingly impossible. And at the, at the conclusion of that great exodus event, of that coming through the Red Sea, the, the people come out and they witness the victory and, and they break out into song. They break out into praise and worship of the Lord. And as we step into the story, that worship, that song has just concluded in the text there in Exodus. And we rejoin the children of Israel facing another challenge. Facing another challenge just three days from the Red Sea Exodus. 
But this time, it's not chariots or warfare that they're facing. They're facing the challenge of dehydration in the desert. They had no water and found themselves desperate. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 15. We're going to begin our teaching text today in verse 22. Remember, just, just three days after they had been brought through the Red Sea is when we're rejoining the people of Israel. Exodus 15, beginning in verse 22, reading out of the NIV today, it says this, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. It says, When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter, and that is why the place is called Marah. Verse 24, So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. There the Lord issued a ruling and an instruction for them and put them to the test. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his command and keep all of his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Finally there in verse 27. Then they, the people of Israel, came to Elam, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. Three days. Three days from the Red Sea, from one of the greatest miracles in the story of human history at this point, you would anticipate them ready to face any battle, right? Like, that was just on Thursday or Friday, and it's Sunday. You would think they're going to be standing there ready, trusting in the Lord. They can't forget that fast, right? I mean, how could they? They should be confident that God can do anything after what they just witnessed. They can't forget that fast, can they? How could they? I don't know about you, but like as I'm studying and reflecting on this and asking those very real questions, I begin to sense the Holy Spirit asking me some very similar questions. You're going to remember those battles I fought and won for you, right? You're not going to forget, are you? How could you after all I've brought you through, after how many times you've witnessed my strength and provision in your life? You're not going to forget, are you? And in a moment of reflection, we bridge 3,500 years of human experience brought together by a shared experience of doubt in the face of difficulty. As we re-enter the story today, rather than finding God's people triumphantly trusting, we encounter them returning to an already common motive of grumbling and doubting. How will the Lord find you today? How will the Lord find you today, grumbling or trusting? Let's pray. Lord, um, we thank you that you have preserved the story of your people. Lord, the, the Apostle Paul said that we have these stories, these things happen that we might glean from them, Lord, that we might learn. and It's going to serve as a mirror, Lord, if we'll let it. And so, Lord, today I'm asking that you would reveal to us the places maybe where grumbling or doubt or mistrust has taken over in our life. Lord, may we humble ourselves before you 
to hear your voice, to, to sense your calling, to sense your leading. Lord, as you invite us into relationship, into deeper intimacy with you, Holy Spirit, come. Reveal our hearts, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. As we're jumping in with the people of Israel here three days post-Red Sea, uh, we find them again being led by Moses, by, by the Lord, and this time it's through the desert. And, and we need to understand that the path that they're on, the direction that they've gone is not an accident. It's not happen chance. It wasn't, you know, rock, paper, scissors, we're going that way. Like, No, this was God's plan. It was his leading them through this time and in this direction. And so uh, we see that they've been in the desert for three days without water, and they're literally at the end of the rope. Again, if God doesn't move, they're history. Because modern science tells us that three days is about the limit that people are going to go without water. We know this. And, and that doesn't even account for all the animals and the other uh, uh, people that are traveling with them. If they had said in these moments, uh, we won't last another day, if that would have been their cry, they would have been pretty close to right. But they hadn't yet taken in the account of the providence of God who was leading them. Their desperation in these moments is easy to imagine. It's a natural response to danger, our human need for water. But in these moments, something is happening below the surface in that their hearts are subtly turning from the Lord. After being in the desert their three days, they've used up their supplies, and, and they finally get a glimpse of what they believe is going to be relief. Like, can you imagine that feeling, the moment of desperation, and you see the relief on the horizon, and you can imagine the young and able are running ahead to try to get to this water source they see there at Mara. But as soon as they take a drink of the water, they realize it's not potable, it's not drinkable, even for the animals, it's bitter. Can you imagine? Like, you would be asking yourself, is this some time a cruel joke? What are you doing, Lord? Can you imagine the letdown, like from the highest of high, God meeting your need in that provision to the desperation and the letdown again? It would have been worse than having no water, no hope at all, right? That moment of frustration and desperation really serves to reveal what had already taken shape, what had already taken root in their hearts. And we see that a little bit in verse 24 when it says, So the people grumbled against Moses. They grumbled against Moses saying, What are we to drink. Their tendency to gripe and complain against Moses and the Lord rises to the surface in these moments, in these moments of pressure. Somehow, in the middle of these circumstances that they're in, they had lost sight of what the Lord could do, what he had just done, and yet they had lost also sight of his leading them to that moment. That was gone. It was lost on them. And what we need to understand here is that the question of what to drink was really not the issue at hand. Rather, it was their attitude of contempt that they were showing towards Moses and ultimately the Lord. They did not have what they expected in these moments, and they failed to trust God to provide it. And they found themselves with a recipe for sin. And the reality that we see here is that quite often our complaints against our circumstances are really complaints against the Lord himself. Let's just push pause on the story for a minute. Let's pull back and... Now, I know nobody here has ever succumbed to complaining. I know that's never happened. But I have, okay? I have. And it's 
more than I care to admit. Uh, every time, like, I, I wake up, I'm an early person, you night owls, I don't understand you, but I love you anyway. Uh, I'm an early morning person, so when I get up at 5 or 5.30, whatever it is, just seeking that time of quiet, a time of reflection and coffee, okay, coffee, uh, but time of reflection and scripture reading and prayer with the Lord, and, and it's there at 5 a.m., and you're just hoping for a moment, silence, and then the choir of roosters and barking dogs begin. You're like, God, be quiet. Right, and that essence of desiring quiet's not the issue, but what I can subtly notice in my own heart is I hear something like this go somewhere in the back of my mind going, Lord, why did you bring us to the middle of the zoo to live? Yeah, y'all laugh. You know you're doing the same thing somewhere. But you see, there's a tendency there. There's a tendency there that in the middle of those places is to pull God in for questioning. To pull him in for questioning about what he's doing or what he has done in his leading us to that moment. And those moments were somehow saying that, Lord, I know better than you. I don't want to be here. It's your fault anyway. Right? And I was speaking to somebody after first service, and it's like, we wouldn't often explicitly say those things as quite as much as they're recorded, but yet we're thinking them, aren't we? Like, they're subtle. They sound like, Lord, why'd you bring us to the zoo? That's the same thing we've read in our text. It's that same heart posture of contempt towards what the Lord's doing. In our text and in our lives, it's so easy and it can happen so subtly to allow those difficult places, those frustrating and hard times to turn our hearts bitter towards the Lord. Yes, towards one another. Thankfully, the the Lord has preserved the story. He's preserved his scriptures because Moses shows us another way. Let's pick up in our text in verse 25, the first half there. It says, Then Moses cried out to the Lord, And the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. So what we see happen here is uh, roses. Y'all remember roses on the other side of here somewhere? That's him. Moses, rather than crying out against the Lord, he has chosen to cry out to the Lord. You see the difference there. In that time of trouble, rather than grumbling, he cries out to the Lord for help, for relief. And and we need to remember, like, well, he's showing us there that's a proper response. But in that moment, he's just as desperate as everybody else. He didn't have a secret water supply. He was thirsty. He didn't see the way forward, but he chose a different path. He didn't allow bitterness to take root in his heart. And we see in the sequence of this verse that Moses cries out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him. You see, a humble heart has the attention of God's ear. The Lord showed him. And the Lord directed him in these moments to a tree, to a piece of wood, to throw it in the water. Now, don't try this at home. I'm telling you, I've been on the Shenandoah here the last couple of days. There's plenty of trees over there and floating around. I still wouldn't drink the water, okay? This was a miracle. What is happening here and what's being revealed in these scriptures is that God is miraculously providing for his people yet again. They only need to trust him, to trust him beyond the seemingly hopeless situation that they're facing. One of the most powerful parts of this story is what happens next. And and there's some amazing pieces that we could tease out of this. But what's amazing is what comes next. And it's a powerful display of the love of God that after he has made a way yet again for his grumbling people, he does something unique in the story. He invites them in to relationship into covenant 
relationship. Let's continue in the latter half of 25 and through the balance of 26. It says there, the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. Verse 26, he said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. And for the first time in our storyline, the Lord is laying out the expectation of obedience upon his people. In these moments, the test has already happened, right? Like, you know, we're used to, like, go to school, study, then take the test. A lot of times in our walk with the Lord, it's the other way around, right? Like, we take the test, it reveals what's in us, and then we got to start studying, right? And so that's a little bit what's taking place here is that the test has passed, and it has revealed what is within the hearts of the people that they are not committed. They still don't trust him. They still don't believe him. They still are not looking to him first in these moments. And in that place, the Lord invites them deeper. He invites them to intimacy into a relationship, a covenant relationship. And this new level of trust, this level of relationship comes with a promise of blessing and protection. And, you know, it's in these moments that the people have a choice. They have a choice. They can either continue, they can continue to rebel and continue in their grumblings and mistrust and find themselves continuing to suffer, or they can listen carefully and do what is right in the Lord's eyes and receive his blessing. It was up to them. It was up to them. Because the Lord's faithfulness was not in question here. But the people had a choice. Our story concludes today there in verse 27 with a place of pleasant provision and rest. It says, Then they came to Elam where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. And in other words, there's really more water than they could have ever needed. We don't see a response of God's people in the scriptures here of the choice that they've made. But God is going to continue their story. He's going to continue their journey. And we know throughout scripture that they're going to face other opportunities to trust. They're going to face other opportunities where it's tempting to grumble. Will they remember this moment? Will they remember the bitter waters turned sweet? Will they remember? Will you? Will you remember? As we would just take a step back from our story today. If we were to take a step back and just a moment of honest reflection, we can see that the Lord was leading his people. The Lord led his people through a desert with no water. Through that place of difficulty, that place of testing. And if we were just to be honest with ourselves, we don't much care for that, do we? Like, I, I'm not sure anyone enjoys being tested. I'm not sure I do. I don't know that we're supposed to. But you know what is clear? Is that in those moments, in those places of testing, is that we have a choice. We have a choice. Commentator and author Warren Wiersbe says it this way when he's speaking of our text. He says, God was testing his people not because he didn't know their hearts, but because they didn't know their own hearts. Did you catch what's, what's happening there? 
God didn't need a test to reveal what was in their hearts. He already knew. The test was to reveal to the people what was in their hearts. You know, and often, if we were to have to give ourselves a spiritual report card, right, like, we would probably go, ah, you know, let's go for like a solid B plus, maybe A minus. You know, we want to be humble. We don't want to say A plus, right? But we would tend to think we're doing okay. We, we don't necessarily always have a clear view of what's happening within our hearts. And while we can sometimes think we're doing okay, there is no doubt that the times of trouble are faithful to reveal what is really within our hearts. You may have heard the saying before, sometimes you got to learn the hard way. Where's my hard way learners in the room? Yeah, we in, right? Got to learn the hard way. Because there's just something about us that it takes the hard way for us to really learn. And that's a little bit like what's happening in our story today. And as I would reflect across my journey and some of the moments, you know, the high highs of the Red Sea partings and some of those things, I can see I had to learn some lessons the hard way. And I got a feeling I'm not done yet, but we'll let tomorrow's hard ways come. I remember when I was figuring out what this call to ministry was. Like, I've been in construction longer than I've ever been in ministry, you see. While I was fleshing through that, like, the first year I worked in the church was really hard for me. And the church was a beautiful place to be. It was what I needed in those moments. But, you see, the Lord had changed my heart to where I knew I didn't want to continue in construction anymore. And it's not that my boss was Pharaoh or anything. It was all good. But, you see, it was something happening at a heart level. And the Lord was calling me to something different, and I began praying, and, and I was just hoping for close to a year for just an exit ramp was the way I framed it. I just needed a way to slow down a little bit to stop the 60 and 70 hour weeks, like stop that to concentrate on what the Lord was calling me to. And, and one day in the middle of that oasis of a year of unanswered prayer, the miracle came, right? Joseph Stoner, pastor up at Harrisonburg campus, calls and says, hey, you interested in a facilities position? ever yes like there's that there's that high mark right like yes that's the lord moving i see you what you're doing lord you have answered my prayers at the end of this year but that was the beginning of a journey you see now i i probably made it more than three days but probably not beyond much about three months before i really started to question what the lord was up to even though I could point you to all those moments and all those transformations of heart in that moment, a couple months in, I'm going, good night, what are you doing, Lord? This journey ain't what I signed up for. Because I was on a journey, you know, I didn't know my own heart. Because when I was in construction, I led crews of men. We would travel all over the area doing different jobs, and it was amazing. But you know what? I had to learn humility. And that came through a season of emptying trash cans and scrubbing toilets. And in the middle of that place, I started grumbling because I didn't care for it. And bitter water will do that to us, won't it? It starts to reveal what's really going on. And I didn't like it. I was done. <laughs> High mountaintop phone call to come work. You can have it. I'm out of here. Just like the people in our story, I started to grumble and complain. 
And I've told that story before, and, and you know, it, it's just so real. I can see this played out. 3,500 years of human experience are bridged in an instant. Grumbling in the face of difficult circumstances. And in that season, I learned a lot about myself that I needed to learn. But also witnessed a few things about my nature in those moments. Like, I was so quick to forget all that God had done to get me to that moment. It was lost. It was lost. From the miracle, the phone call, to the freedom and blessing I had from my employer and my family to make that step, all that faded so quickly in the rear view. That was just human nature. I quickly in those moments defaulted to living by sight and not by faith, completely losing sight of the possibility that even God was up to something good. Just lost sight of it. I realized I I was pretty inclined, just like the people in our story today, to grumble and complain about what God was doing. Friends, the places of trial in our lives are always faithful to reveal what's really going on in our hearts. What are some of those stories in your life today? Are you in one right now? Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's flushing out a calling. Maybe it's something going on at home. But it's tough. And maybe the Lord seems distant. Maybe he seems silent. What is that place in your life today? Friends, what we see in, this, in the text is that these places uh, can be hard. They can be seasons where there just seems to be no relief. It can be uh, a, a deep, almost desperation, and yes, even grief in those moments. Maybe beyond that difficulty, what's God trying to show you? What's God trying to show you in your heart today? Have you been quick to forget all he's done? Has has that faded in your rear view today? Has living by sight rather than faith come to be your reality? Have you given up that God's doing something good? You know, one of the things about trials is they're They're quick to reveal what's inside of us, but yet they also reveal the nature and the character of God. Because what we see in those moments is that that he knows what we need. He knows the depths of our heart when we can't even comprehend it, when we can't see it. We don't even know we need it, but yet he does. Because that's his nature of a loving, caring father that's drawing us on. That Even despite our grumbling, despite our pushing back, he's still wooing us into relationship, wanting us into intimacy with himself. He doesn't let our grumbling push him away. It reveals the nature and the character of God. But you know, friends, in those difficult places, we too face the same choice. We face the choice that the people of Israel faced. We can either see God as one to blame or one to believe. We're going to see God as one to blame or to believe. We're going to either fall into seeing God as the one to blame for the situation or in crying out against him. I don't understand what you're doing here. Why have you led me here? Or we're going to cry out to him in belief and trust 
that he can see us through it and that he's up to something we can't see. We're going to blame or we're going to believe. But the choice is yours today, friends. The choice is yours. As um, John and Mandy play, um, maybe somehow through today's text and, and the story that was your week leading up to this moment, maybe God's pressing on your heart today. Maybe today you're going, whew, and grumbling. Maybe you've even been blaming. Friends, the beauty of grace in this moment is that you can make a different choice today. The choice that defined your life leading up to this moment doesn't have to be the choice that defines tomorrow, okay? As the band plays, maybe you want to make a different choice. Maybe subtly, You didn't quite pick up on it, but maybe today you understand you've been pressing back. Maybe you've been showing contempt for what the Lord's doing, pressing against what he's been leading you through. Maybe today you have an opportunity to make a different choice, to trust him in that difficult place. And I know it's a tender place of desperation, maybe hopelessness. Friends, I just invite you into intimacy with him. Put down the blame and believe. Would you pray with me, Lord? I'm glad you still love grumbling people. But Lord, you love us enough not to leave us there. You're calling us onward. And said, Lord, I don't know what desert place is in the room today. But Lord, I know you as healer, provider, redeemer, mighty God are present and inviting us into relationship with you. To trust you, Lord. Lord, forgive us of the times we've blamed. Forgive us for the times we wanted to go back. Lord, and will you come today? Will you come in the ministry of your spirit and strengthen us? As we say, I trust you. I trust you in the middle of this desert. I trust you even though I don't see it. I'm trusting that you're going to make a way. That the Apostle Paul's words in Romans 8, Lord, that they're just as true in the desert as they are in the oasis, that, Lord, we know that in all things, God, you work for the good of those who love you, who have been called according to your purpose. That's true today. And we trust you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info at cotnaz.org for any questions about our church. When you're done listening today, please subscribe to this channel for updates and new episodes.